After I graduated college, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia for a few months to work with an organization that ministered to folks experiencing homelessness. And I absolutely loved my time there. And I actually grew to like the city of Atlanta quite a bit, despite the oppressive summer temperatures. I was only there during the summer, which was the worst time of the year to be there. But I actually grew to like the city quite a bit, had a great time. But I also, throughout my few months there, I knew that my stay was temporary. I knew that I was only going to be there for a few months, which at times made it difficult to feel motivated to find a community outside of my coworkers. At times it made it difficult to find and invest in a faith community and the like. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that maybe during schooling or maybe you had a temporary but um, semi-permanent work arrangement in a different city or something like that? You knew you weren't going to be there for long. It can be tough to invest in those situations when you feel like, A, you don't belong or when you feel like you know you're not going to be there long. You know, I'm just passing through. Why would I expend all of this energy to invest. I want to consider some of those questions a little bit today. Two weeks ago, we looked at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul used that analogy of a soldier to talk about perseverance in the faith. Do you remember that? He said, look, soldiers don't worry about civilian affairs. They're worrying about, thinking about different things. Now, during our time then, one of the things we argued was that Paul wasn't instructing Timothy to completely withdraw from the secular realm and focus solely on the sacred life. In fact, I think the bifurcation between the two, between the sacred and secular world, is unhelpful. But I want to pick that conversation up again today as we look at a section from Jeremiah that I think sheds a little bit of life, light on this conversation. Last week, Austin led us through a portion of Jeremiah 31. We're actually going to back up two chapters to Jeremiah 29. Of course, you're probably familiar with that chapter in Jeremiah. We find one of the most popular verses in our Bible in that chapter. But I want to back up and consider what immediately precedes that popular verse. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's the situation. The year 597 BC, Babylonian forces led by King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem they pillage the city and take many residents into exile in Babylon. Now, this wasn't the first Babylonian invasion, but it was probably the most severe. And Jeremiah 29 marks the beginning of a letter Jeremiah sends to these folks who are now exiles in Babylon. Remember, the book of Jeremiah is sort of an anthology. It's this collection of writings various writings from Jeremiah's life, and this is one of those letters that Jeremiah writes. He sends this letter to folks who had been displaced, 
taken captive in a foreign land as exiles in Babylon. And the letter, at least in part, provides this reassurance. While this captivity was judgment for Judah's unfaithfulness, still God hasn't abandoned them. That is, by and large, one of the messages in this letter. God hasn't forgotten you. The covenant hasn't been forsaken or revoked. Remember, this is reminiscent of something that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. When we are faithless, what did Paul say? God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So this is a reassurance to the people of Israel that their purpose as a people remains. Their purpose remains. In fact, in exile now, they may have a unique opportunity as these aliens, as foreigners, as strangers, they may have a unique opportunity to live into a part of their purpose that they had so often neglected. Because do you remember the covenant that God makes with Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12? One of their callings as a people was to be a blessing to the Gentiles. If they were faithful, they would be a blessing to those outside of the fold of God. So keep that aspect of the covenant made with Abraham in your minds as we read Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah sends this letter with instructions for the people of God in exile. We continue reading it, verse 4. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I am, who, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and wait for the harvest. Eat the fruit of what you have planted. Get married and have children and allow your children to have children. So what is... He's saying, without just saying it, you're going to be there a while. You're going to plant gardens and, and wait for it to produce fruit. You're going to get married and have children and to continue multiplying. You're going to be in exile for a while. This exile of judgment is not going to end anytime soon, so settle down. Even though this is obviously not the ideal situation for you, you still have a purpose in this foreign land, in this unfamiliar place, in this incredibly unsettling situation. Now, this was surely not an easy word for the people of Israel to hear in exile. But he goes on, verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So God tells his people through the prophet Jeremiah, seek 
hope. Work for the success of Babylon. Are you kidding me? Nebuchadnezzar, you want me to work and hope for the success of that guy? For this nation that destroyed our lives, and yet I am to pray to God on behalf of Babylon. Seek the welfare of the city. This is a fairly shocking instruction. Welfare is translated from a a Hebrew word, shalom. Maybe you are familiar with that word, which typically speaks of peace. It's a word that can also refer to plenty or abundance of various kinds. And I think it's possible that in this case, all are in view. Seek the welfare of the city and its welfare. You find your welfare in in its peace and plenty. You might find the same. Plant your roots, remain faithful, work for the betterment of the place you find yourself in. And while our situation as 21st century followers of Jesus is undoubtedly different, I think there's potentially a surprising amount of overlap. Babylon, of course, was an ancient kingdom, but it also becomes a symbol throughout the biblical narrative of the empires and kingdoms that stand in opposition to the kingdom of God, stand in opposition to the kingdom of God, but yes, empires and kingdoms that we still reside in as exiles. So we are also in a Babylon of our own in many ways. We too are exiles in our own right. We are living in particular kingdoms and Societies that challenge our ultimate allegiance, but we aren't called out of. We aren't able to return to our homeland, as it were, at least not yet. So while we are here, we have a responsibility as God's people to figure out what fidelity looks like as exiles. What does faithfulness look like? For exiles. Do you remember the phrase, in it but not of it? Speaking of the world, in the world but not of it. If you listened to 90s CCM music, you probably heard this quite a bit. It was the theme of a lot of songs. And I think even before the 90s, Larry Norman, I think, had a song in this regard. And there was even that old hymn. Do you remember that one? This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Steve's ready to to belt it out for us. We've got, we've got a special number planned for you all today. In it, but not of it. And before we get into this, I don't want to be dismissive of that sentiment at all, because there's truth to it. It is a biblical notion, if understood appropriately, Furthermore, I understand that it's easy for a guy like me to dismiss that notion because, to be quite honest, life is fairly easy for me. I don't face much oppression. I'm not persecuted for my faith. So I can easily, well, disregard that, but there are followers of Jesus throughout history for whom this hope was the only thing they could cling to. 
for whom this life was incredibly difficult. And so holding on to hope that this isn't all there is was what got them through those difficult times. So, so I don't want to dismiss that idea because it is a biblical idea. And we can actually run through some of these examples in sort of this rapid-fire fashion. 1 Peter chapter 2, this is how Peter puts it in verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He goes on to say, Live in an honorable way so that people might see your good deeds and glorify your Father. We'll actually pick that idea up next week and talk in more detail about that. But the entire letter that Peter is writing to these Christians spread and scattered throughout Asia Minor, this is the point. Your state of exile is likely not going to change, and that's not even what you're hoping for. That's not what you're seeking. You're just trying to stay faithful as an exile. Paul picks up that theme in Philippians chapter 3, where he says that that sojourner theme. In verse 20, he says, your your citizenship is not here. Your, Your citizenship is somewhere else. Yes, you are members of society, but really, you're citizens of another kingdom. 1 John chapter 2, we read this in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So do you see this? The evidence seems to be stacking up. It's the language we find. Aliens, sojourners, heavenly citizenship, do not love the world or the things in the world, And then we come to the words of Jesus. John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus is praying to the Father in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So at this point, it seems pretty clear. This is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer. His followers are not of this world. So the arguments for withdrawing from society seem at this point to be more and more difficult to evade. But then we continue reading that prayer. Actually, the very next verse, this is what Jesus goes on to pray. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So this is where we get that little phrase, in it, but not of it. Now, historically, at least in my tradition, the focus was almost exclusively on the latter half of that statement. Make sure you're not of this world, which I think in an unfortunate turn of events led to sort of this withdrawal or disengaged mentality. Not only is it okay to seclude myself in my Christian home, and my Christian church, with my Christian friends, but that is maybe the only appropriate response 
to my resident alien status. Otherwise, I might get a little too comfortable with the world. I might enjoy it. I might begin to love the world. I think there's some merit to that impulse insofar as it was about a commitment to pursue holiness and to pursue a distinct identity living in a foreign land while our citizenship lies elsewhere. But what Jesus seems to suggest in this prayer is that being sanctified in the truth is not a matter of disassociation or disengagement from the world or withdrawal, but remaining holy and faithful is a process of simply abiding in Christ in the midst of a potentially hostile environment. In the midst of life in a foreign land where cultural realities might not encourage faithfulness to King Jesus. And this is the tension that we as followers of Jesus seek to live in. In it, but not of it. It's easy, of course, to go to one extreme or the other. But Jesus says, no, it's both. I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm actually sending you into the world. But always remember, your citizenship lies elsewhere. Your devotion has a different object. In it, but not of it. So how do we live in that tension. I think we find, or at least begin to find, a clue back in Jeremiah 29. Seek the welfare of the places God has sent you. Seek the welfare of your Babylon. We are sent to various places. Most of us in this room, not everybody, but most of us have been sent to Springfield, Missouri, at least in this season, and I think there is purpose in that. And even if you're from Springfield originally, I think it's still true and applies to each of us in different ways. So if we are in this place, at least during this season, and there is a reason or a purpose to that, I think the purpose, at least in part, has to do with seeking the welfare of the place we have been sent and allowing God to work through our faithful presence as we plant roots, to work through our faithful presence and our service for God's own glory. So how do we seek the welfare and the peace of the city, of our geographical placement in a way that is consistent with our Christian convictions? I think a good place to start is prayer which you, you probably could have guessed that, right? That's the quintessential Sunday school answer to every question. If the answer is not Jesus, right, you have a pretty good chance of guessing prayer. That will likely be the answer. But I do think that we begin this process of seeking the welfare of the places we have been planted. We begin with prayer. We, we pray because we believe in prayer, and we want God's best for the places we reside. What do we pray? I think the Lord's Prayer is a good place to start. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, here in Springfield, here in the Midtown neighborhood. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. 
we, we pray that Christ would pour out his spirit on all flesh. That folks in our city would come within the saving reach of God's embrace. We also pray for health. We pray for equity. We pray for justice. We pray that suffering and violence, we pray that evil might be limited in this place in which we reside. And I think one of the real benefits to beginning this process of seeking to live faithfully in the place that we reside, I think one of the benefits of committing to prayer, to praying for our city, to praying for any place in which we reside, is that consistent prayer for the well-being of these places eventually begins to change us. As we commit to pray over the course of years, my heart is going to grow for a place. My eyes might be opened. I might begin seeing the community and its people in a new light. Maybe as I commit to pray over the course of my life for the Babylon I find myself in, maybe I would feel compelled to then find a place to tangibly seek the peace of the city, to tangibly seek the peace of an individual in the city. Maybe I would feel compelled then to find a place like Safe to Sleep to serve. We had several serving a meal at Safe to Sleep last night. That is seeking the welfare of our city. That is tangibly demonstrating peace to individuals who might need it in this season. Or maybe I would feel compelled to think about spending a half an hour every week as a lunch buddy at Weller Elementary School, where I'm spending time pouring into, allowing my presence to be a positive light in a student's life who maybe doesn't have much hope, much of a future. That is seeking the welfare, seeking the peace of the place we reside. Finding somebody for whom I can be a source of hope and encouragement, for somebody who could use it in a way that's not flashy, Becoming a lunch buddy at Weller, that's not flashy at all. It's not even world-changing, but it's incredibly significant for one student. And the crazy thing is that investing in our Babylon, investing in the welfare and the peace of the city, working toward the well-being of others is not just good for them, it's good for me too. My soul needs what somebody else can offer me. Somebody that I'm serving and I think I have the upper hand and I need what they can offer me. This is the economy of the kingdom. It is giving and it is receiving. Everyone giving and everyone receiving. Every one of us seeking the good for somebody who has a need but also recognizing my need and receiving that from them. And I think prayer, on behalf of a place and on behalf of a people, helps open us up to that. 
Jeremiah suggests loving your city well, speaking to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon, loving that place well and seeking the good, seeking the welfare of that place that you really don't want to be in, it's actually a way of loving both yourself and your neighbor. It is good for everybody involved when peace reigns, when everything thrives, not just economically, but when culture flourishes, when peace is spread. That is good for everybody who resides in that society. This is one way we invest in this place in which we ultimately don't belong. You know, in Wendell Berry's poem entitled The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, I think I've read a line from this poem before. It's so good, but he lists in that poem some of the unpleasant realities of life in this world, like the never-ending desire for increased profits or the fear of death or a desire for increased security even at the cost of our souls, increased security even at the the cost of our freedom. All of these things that suffocate life. And then he goes on to instruct the reader in this way. In light of all of those unpleasant realities of this world that suffocate life, in light of that, every day do something that won't compute. Do something that doesn't make sense in that world. He gives some examples. Love the Lord. Or work for nothing. That, that doesn't make sense unless your thinking and approach to life undergoes a dramatic shift. In the middle of that poem, though, I want to read this little section. He says this, ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant that you will not live to harvest. He goes on at the end of the poem to say, expect the end of the world. It's really encouraging, right? Expect the end of the world, laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, he says, though you have considered all the facts. I love those lines in that middle section, though. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. What a foolish endeavor. Plant sequoias? Have you ever been to Sequoia National Park or Redwood or I think even Yosemite maybe has sequoias. Have you seen a sequoia? They are truly magnificent, indescribable organisms. I think some that are living today are in excess of 2,000 years. Just marvelous living things. Can you imagine planting a sequoia? I have trouble finding motivation to plant a maple tree in my backyard, something that I probably will see come to fruition in my lifetime. Planting a sequoia? Investing in things that don't make sense. As resident aliens, we are not of this world. Our citizenship is elsewhere. We are strangers. We are aliens. It doesn't make sense to invest in this place, and yet we're here. And we're not here by accident. There's a purpose in that. 
And when we can come to understand that purpose, we can then have this shift in our thinking where we are then willing to plant the sequoia. Because it's not just about me seeing this beautiful tree grow. It's not just about what I can get or my increased profits or my increased well-being, but it's about everybody else as well. Do something that doesn't make sense in the old world. Something that you'll never fully reap the benefit of. This, this is what the Christian life is about. The life we are offered and the life we have been called into doesn't make sense in view of dominant cultural values, but it's what we've signed up for. So as Barry says in that poem, practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. As followers of Jesus, we are strangers. We are exiles, sojourners passing through not of this world and yet not taken out of this world. So while we're here, however foreign it may seem at times, as our hearts and minds are continually transformed into the countercultural kingdom of Christ, while we are here, what better thing to do than seek the shalom of the city? to invest in the welfare of the places in which we reside. Would you stand? Kevin, if you want to come up. Practice and demonstrate resurrection in this place where you find yourself today Invest in the people and the places around you. It's one of our callings as followers of Jesus. We have been sent for this. Jesus says in that prayer, just as I have been sent, I am sending them now into this world. We are sent for this. We're going to share communion together. If you're visiting or new, we invite you to celebrate with us around the table of our Lord we will make two lines down the center aisle. When you get to the front, somebody will be here with the, the bread and the cup, and the words will be spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. We celebrate around the body and blood of our Lord. By way of invitation, let me say this prayer for us. If you attend our midweek prayer service, you are probably very familiar with this prayer. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. This is our prayer. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Amen. Would you join us around the table today?